the rompin'. Boogie. You see the drummer stompin'. Drum boogie, drum boogie. I just totally fell in love with this movie, which I think is really incredibly funny. It's um, sort of, on the one hand, um, a take on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's also sort of a parody of gangster film. And the thing that sort of makes it run is this very sort of kooky dialogue that is itself in love with language. Mm. Really, I think, unusual in its use of language, too. Welcome to Open Form. I'm Michael Denzel Smith. It's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. It's a reverse Pygmalion. It's a screwball comedy of the highest order. Professor in desperate need of help completing his encyclopedia entry on slang turns to a nightclub singer with a set of problems brought on by her mobster boyfriend. This week's film is Ball of Fire, and it was chosen by Tracy O'Neill, author of two critically acclaimed novels, 2015's The Hopeful and 2020's Quotient. I'm not uh, well-versed, I would say, in sort of like the classic Hollywood era, you know, this the studio uh, era of, of Hollywood. I mean, I've seen a few, um, like some of the major ones and all of that, but like a lot of the stars at that time sort of escaped me. And, and I think, uh, you know, in watching this film, it was like, Oh, this is there, there's there's charm here. There's a lot of charm here. I mean, Barbara Stanwyck obviously is just sort of like oozing charm, just like always on screen is always popping, just like uh, a, an incredible presence there. Um, and yeah, and you said it's a, a sort of a play on seven, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I also saw saw it sort of. Uh, it's like a twist on that, and and a twist to me on Pygmalion in a way. Um, where we're sort of like she comes in, uh, she's a woman off the street in, in, a, in a number of ways, and sort of like there's not an effort at refining her, but like opening him up, uh, uh, Professor Potts, into the, this world and understanding the way that it actually operates. As these men have been, I think, nine years at this point that they've been working on this encyclopedia, uh, and it's just the the eight of them and Miss Bragg uh the the caretaker in there and and so i saw uh a similarity at least in in those kind of storylines kind of intertwining one of the parts that i i really like in the movie that does sort of subvert that um makeover narrative though or like the expectations of that narrative mm. is um when bertram potts professor potts brings sugar puss um like a breakfast tray and she doesn't know that um underneath this like silver tray where he has like toast is also um an engagement ring he's gonna pop the question that way he's gonna break his fast if you know what i'm saying and before we get to that moment though right like she says something about a planism and he is sort of surprised, right, that she knows that word. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, there's all these books around here. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not doing anything else. I thought I would read up a little bit, right? And she, and so she sort of is both 
um, like the arbiter of slang, um, but also is able to sort of like permeate these like barriers of knowledge between them. Well, how do we start, Professor? You see, this is the first time anybody moved in on my brain. Have you got some kind of a machine, an x-ray or a vacuum cleaner maybe that sorts out the words you want? What's your method, Professor? Well, it's quite simple. If you'll be here tomorrow morning, not later than 9.30... Tomorrow morning? Well, yes. I, I've arranged a roundtable discussion with a few people of uh, various backgrounds. Uh-huh. You, uh, you don't think we could sort of begin the begin right now? Well, it's uh, nearly one o'clock, Mr. Oh, Jay. fool, Professor. Let's get ourselves a couple of drinks, light the fire maybe, and you can start working on me right away. Well, I wouldn't think of imposing upon you at this hour. She's not played um, as, as sort of ditzy or uh, uninformed or anything like that. She's very sophisticated and yeah. like, you know, uh, worldly and knowledgeable. Uh, and there's, there's no sort of uh, sense that uh, her character is supposed to be diminished um, intellectually. Uh, right. And that he is attracted to a, a lot of that in her because she knows, it, it feels like, one, it's just this access to this world that he's been closed off from, but he's so mm -hmm. impressed uh, that uh, not only is she able to comport herself in that world, she's she can keep up with him too. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, she she's um, I mean, she's a bad bitch, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, no argument there. <laughs> I don't care if I have to hook a ride on a hearse. I want to get out of here. I don't like it. I want to blow. I. Oh. Well, um, what other news is there, Daddy? I mean, I feel like conversationally she runs the table no matter where she is in that movie. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I really love about it is that I think a lot of the humor, like there is just straight up silly humor, yeah. right? But, you know, it's also a movie that um, is able to figure out how to do humor in a way that um, never really feels uh, mean, to me mm -hmm. and I think that's really hard to do hmm. right um it's all sort of very um good-natured and um and it lets her have a lot of the punchlines which yeah. I think it feels like you know pretty special yeah you say the the humor not feeling mean even as we're like invested in these other seven professors um and and their characters you know they're no one's looking down upon their sort of nerdiness. It's like cute and, you know, folksy, you know, in it's like weird, twisted way, like to be like, oh, how they they don't know. But and it's, you know, the the scene where they're dancing, right, they're, that she's taught them a conga uh, and they're trying to recreate it using uh, <laughs> fractions. And, and it's not like we're saying like, oh, these these terrible dorks. It's just like it's cute that they that they're so that they're so charmed by her and wanting to engage, and that you know they they are yeah they all have these it's distinct personalities, but all then grouped together in this way that's like they're not uh, terribly hopeless old men that we're supposed to then uh, be mean toward. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think that, um, you know, there, there are a couple of parts in the movie, right, with, that feel a little bit cringy because we're living in 2020, mm. right? But even those, I would say that even those cringy moments sort of comparatively um, are possibly less so because of that work that's done to sort of 
make um, this a world that isn't, um, you know, completely cynical. And in fact, like part of the plot itself is sort of about a turn away from cynicism, mm. right? For example, there's one, there's one part after um, Sugarpuss has accepted Professor Potts's marriage proposal, mm-hmm. right? And all of the professors sort of like gather around her and they're so excited and they say something very weird along the lines of like, it's like you're marrying all of us. We're so happy (laughs) like that, you know? And it's like, it's, it is cringy. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, there is this way where I can still sort of like, at least within the film's logic, right. Kind of get behind that moment and be Mm -hmm. like, well, they, they like her. They like her. They've really, they've really taken to her. Um, you and they know, like and, their friend too. And they like them being happy together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they've all been so lonely for so long. They've all been they so lonely. And we learn later, we get backstory way late in the movie, right? About how one of the professors was married. Yes. Yes. It's a very touching moment that they have. Uh, all together it's sort of uh, Professor Potts's like sort of assembled bachelor party that that wasn't meant to be <laughs> yes and they and they sing a song yeah it's got her her name in it it's an old song apparently but it's like features the name of his his deceased wife Genevieve and yeah it's really it's, it's really a very touching moment and also a shift uh, or a confirmation it leads to a confirmation of Professor Potts's love for Sugar Puss, and then like you know, there's a whole moment. Um, not we won't offer too many spoilers, but honestly, spoilers abound. <laughs> uh, Genevieve was a blonde. Here is a lock of her hair. Very lovely. Yes, I remember it used to shine a great deal, and there was a song at that time. Everyone sang. Unfortunately, I can never carry a tune. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, please sing it all. You mentioned, uh, you know, the sort of language aspect of it. It's sort of like, in its way, like a love letter to language. That this film and uh, you know, Professor Potts is in charge of uh, all of the. He's, he's like an English professor. Um, he's like in charge of that, that section of the encyclopedia. Um, can you talk about like for you, like what the, the, the play with language is happening and that, that's attractive to you? Um, he, he's got to stick up his ass about split infinitives. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he does, he does. That's like an early line, right? That he, he's giving somebody shit. Uh, Mrs. Bragg, right? He's yeah. giving her- split infinitives but like but they're also you know and I think the movie makes fun of him for that a little bit but um you know it's it's really fun when he goes out and does his his field work though right because he's sort of um realizing that that language as much as he might be a bit of a stickler about split infinitives um is evolving Right. And that it's not something that just exists in books and that he has done himself a disservice thinking that language is is something where you get to go hide for nine years in a house and be an expert on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he goes out and he's like leaning over people on the bus and like, you know, like talking to like, I think a newspaper vendor, like a newsy Mm -hmm. kid or something like that. He has his notebook and, you know, the camera will sort of pan to his notebook and he'll be writing like, 
killer diller, (laughs) (laughs) boogie woogie, um, and that kind of stuff. And I think that, you know, one of the things that makes this movie really fun is that um, there are these moments where it's like you get a similar pleasure as, um, you know, to me, as the pleasure that you might feel, you know, reading sort of um, playful poetry or listening to rap, basically, you know, just really getting into the way in which it's fun for us to come up with different ways of saying, of conveying um, meaning, Mm -hmm. right? And so I love that it's um, a movie that's so interested in the malleability of language. And I would certainly think that if you compare it to most other movies if you were to sort of do that thing that I guess scholars do is say Shakespeare right and they mm-hmm. look and like well how many different words are there here and how many made up words are there I think that there's um sort of a richness you mm-hmm. know it's like it's just delightful yeah you mentioned boogie woogie um and they're sort of in the early part of the film when he goes to the nightclub and he sees Sugar Puss Lachey perform uh they're the big number is drum boogie, uh, yeah. and you know the the whole band is there and, and playing. And it, I found it I found it funny in a way I don't think that they intended it to be funny. And it's not. I, and you mentioned this sort of watching it in present day. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, obviously there's this sort of like I t- took note that there's like one black band member <laughs> playing trumpet. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Um, so like, I found that funny, but what I, what I really was fascinating to me was that, you know, he's seeking out sort of, uh, the way language is working and culture and, you know, going to these places that he can absorb it. And, you know, he, he's trying to find essentially like the hip places, right? And he goes to this nightclub and they're playing what's like a really swinging song, really hip and all of these things, right? <laughs> None of the people are dancing, <laughs> which I found. Michael. <laughs> which is what I found so hilarious to me is that he's going out in search of like, in in you know just to to put it very bluntly, he's going out in search of like lower class people, right? To like really get the vibrancy of language and the way it's working. And one of the places that he goes is a nightclub where all of these white people are dressed up in tuxedos and, yeah. and formal wear, listening to Boogie Woogie, listening to Drum Boogie, but no one is moving. Yeah. No, I know. Well, and it's like, and it, it's almost like, you know, <laughs> watching it now, um, right? It's like you could imagine if it was made now, it actually would be a, a sort of like some sort of like like parody of whiteness or something. But mm-hmm. there's this part where there's an encore in that scene, right? And she gathers everybody around her, right? Like everybody yeah. in the audience and gets, she like sits at this table and her drummer starts doing the beat with matchsticks yeah. on a table. Yeah. Super, super quietly and they're sort of like singing the song at like a lower volume but one of the great parts of it and I don't know why this makes me laugh every time so hard is that everybody else kind of like understands what they're supposed to do it's like a participatory Mm -hmm. song right she tells everybody what their parts are there's you know parts where they're supposed to say things and like Professor Potts like doesn't get it because he's a nerd Mm -hmm. and so 
every so often in the song, he'll try to participate. <laughs> and, and he inevitably ends up screaming like, boogie woogie. <laughs> and it's like the most silly, childish humor in my life. It really gets me. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. No, it is. It's, it's that kind of humor. And it's like light, it's light and fun and, you know, not not taking things too seriously at all it's very yeah it's it's wholesome in that way right it's, yeah. and that very like narrow definition of what constitutes wholesome it, and and speaking of there's you know gary cooper obviously um you know huge star of that era um this sort of embodiment of everything that you know or he moves toward an embodiment of that depression era, World War II era kind of masculinity, right? Like he starts his career, he's sort of like a little more flamboyant, a little more pretty. Um, and then his movement, and, and he plays these characters that are supposed to represent the American morality as, as such that they want to present. Make no mistake, I shall regret the absence of your keen mind. Unfortunately, it is inseparable from an extremely disturbing body. And so I, I another point that I found very funny, um, to me at least in, in the film, uh, is when, uh, you know, Joe Lilac uh, is on the phone with Sugar Puss and then uh, they're discussing her getting away from there so that they could be married. Professor Potts gets on the phone because he's just proposed to her and he's like, well, the proper way is I have to ask the father, right? And he, he runs down his credentials, you know, he was a, like a fellow at the Rockefeller Foundation or something and he like is a professor at Princeton uh, and he says, uh, you know, I voted in the last election, I voted the straight Republican ticket. And it's just like this idea, you know, in, in, in 1941, of this idea that like the moral thing, the upstanding gentlemanly thing to do is to reject Roosevelt and the New Deal, which Gary Cooper was, you know, and Barbara Steinwick also, these sort of Republican, anti-New Deal, anti-Roosevelt uh, uh uh, political figures um, that like they they inserted that into the film as the it's like you know this is the the, the grit and and uh, moral certitude of a, of a true American man is to have voted straight Republican. Yeah, well, I mean, and there are so many parts of the movie that are sort of really ridiculous. Like, I mean, um, he's like this enormous prude in the movie too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, like, you know, I. I want to say like a, a really large portion of the plot's tension is tied up in the beginning in um his unwillingness for sugar puss to stay at this fabulous um manhattan mm. townhouse yeah right so he has invited her to sort of like be somebody who he talks to and learns slang from and then and she says no basically at mm. first right and then she shows up later and it's supposed to be like a little bit after midnight and she wants to stay there mm -hmm. because she's hiding. Right. And he is like absolutely against it. He's like so terrified by this. In fact, um, after the sort of like iconic moment in the movie, when she kisses him the first time, he literally runs like his you know like yeah. he falls he, yeah. he first falls over and then he runs upstairs and the first time I saw it I thought that it was supposed to be some sort of like 
a joke about him jizzing his pants or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then later I realized that no, this is, uh, you know, that uh, he, well, it, it might have been a little bit of that. <laughs> I think it is a little bit. Because remember, like, in that, what he's saying, you know, in that scene, he, he tells her, after the first time, uh, one of the times that he knew he had feelings for her, she was standing in the sunlight, and he uh, and he caught you know the, her look and the the way it hit her hair. And she asked him, "Well, what did you do about it?" And he said he he uh, splashed the, or put some cold water on his his neck. <laughs> and and when he comes back from he put he had put the another wet towel on his neck. And when he comes back into the room, she says your hair is wet. And I, I mean, I would venture to say that that's like a hint at like, you know, some other kind of wetness. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Exactly. Getting a little too hot in there, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, it is funny though how much time is taken up in the movie, right? By just him arguing that she should not stay there mm -hmm. at the beginning, right? And it's actually sort of the other professors who urge him to allow her to stay. But they're all almost like, all of the men in that house are sort of cast as these like asexual children at the beginning of the movie, mm -hmm. right? Um, like there's a part very early on where Mrs. Bragg, the housekeeper, comes in and starts accusing them of having, of somebody in the group having um like pilfered some strawberry jam from mm -hmm. the pantry and they they are all sort of like in a titter about it and then finally one of the professors admits that it was him so that everybody doesn't have to suffer not getting any jam with their breakfast and she's like threatening to withhold the jam <laughs> um but yeah it's like there's like this like massive sort of like innocence um in the characterization but then against that, right, there's, like, also this gangster, this gangster plot um, backdrop. But it is also, um, you know, it's like a movie that wants to have a little bit of fun and do it in this tongue-in-cheek way. So one of the early bits of the movie that's really funny is that, um, like, one of the reasons that they're fearful about, about Sugar Puzzle Shea, you know, being subpoenaed is because at the scene of a crime, mm -hmm. um, some pajamas were found mm -hmm. that are like purple pajamas because the guy's name is, um, you know, her, her like gangster boyfriend yeah. uh, is named Joe Lilac, right? And she had like gotten him these like monogrammed purple pajamas. And like, of course, they just happened to be by the scene of the crime. And like, <laughs> this is a clue that undoubtedly the police will you know, will use. So, um, you know, it's like certainly the only movie I've ever seen where pajamas constitute um, a sort of plot thickening device. Yeah. Right? Hey, are you a bull or aren't you? Well, if bull is a slang word for professor, then I'm a bull. A professor? Of English. Oh. I thought there was some misunderstanding. There sure was. <laughs> I did find, though, I, I think... Or, you know, maybe I'm adjusting expectations for the time period. I found it to be a little more direct about sex than I anticipated. Maybe it's just me picking up on the winks and nods a little more because, like, we've, we've sort of, like, come to a cultural understanding of what they were doing at that time that, were, that wasn't so apparent or, or was meant to be hidden from the public at that time. But that, uh, there's... Uh, that scene um, when when she first comes to the house, 
uh, and you know, he's one, he's just, he's looking at her in her shimmering dress that she's, she's just come <laughs> from the nightclub. And it's like, she's got leg out and he just is so distracted by like the small of her back and, you know, and then uh, she takes off one of her heels and then she takes off a stocking and she's trying to convince him to, to let her stay. Uh, and she puts her leg up in the air and she says, feel that foot. And I was like, this is just a little... And, and I think it like, in, in like knowing about sort of Gary Cooper and Barbara Steinwick and their political stances and sort of like, again, seeing through a context of today in our politics and being like, oh, these are Republicans and like, they're supposed to be sort of anti-sex in like every way, but here they are like playing with that in very, very direct ways and what, to my mind. Well, one of the things that's really funny about that moment, I think, is like that sort of weird subversive turn where she like, so basically she puts out her foot and she asks him to touch it. And then she like asks him like his impression basically of her foot. And then she like says in a very sort of like sassy way, like it's cold, it's damp or something like that. <laughs> um, and it's actually this sort of like elliptical turn of dialogue, which culminates in her basically saying like she could get sick if she has to go like back out in the rain and the mm -hmm. night. So certainly he has to let her stay because like, you know, what's she going to do with these like cold damp feet? But like, there is that sort of moment that's like really sexually fraught mm -hmm. and like cold and damp, right. Is like, you know, obviously those are not the two adjectives that we necessarily would specifically use possibly. Right. If we were trying to like, maybe like seduce somebody. Right. No, not that I don't, I don't, I don't think those would work. Right. I've never, like, you've never gone up to somebody and been like, hey, baby, like, touch my cold, damp feet. No. Uh, <laughs> you know, and in fact, you, you know, if anything, right, you would think, like, you know, she's going to, like, move toward, like, warmth or heat or hotness or something like that, mm -hmm. right? So there is this sort of, like, pleasure, I think, in that subversion of the expectation in that moment, even as it is, as you say, like, this really sort of, like, physically direct moment like i was wait i understand what you're saying like it is sort of shocking when he actually does grab her foot right mm -hmm. because he's sort of such a such a prude although even her removing the stocking feels yeah pretty surprising and i will just say apropos nothing that we've been talking about that like she has the most amazing dresses in this movie. <laughs> like incredibly stylish incredibly stylish absolutely yeah, and also when she when they meet, right, this dress that you're talking about, this shimmering dress that she's worn in this nightclub performance, it's like this like midriff dress that like in some ways you look at now and you think like that actually looks very much like this style that has returned in mm. maybe the past like five years in, in um, women's clothing, yeah. right? Like cutouts and like two-piece matching sets that like expose the midriff or, mm. or whatever that I just love. I love her clothes. <laughs> Tracy, what's one lasting image that sticks with you from Ball of Fire? Well, I mean, I know that you mentioned already um, that particular scene where they're doing the conga line mm. um 
through the library. Um, but that is sort of a favorite scene of mine. It's like she just sort of enters this house and they've all been so sad. And there's one line in the movie where, um, you know, Professor Potts confesses that he's realized that he's lived his life in the wrong way mm. and not known it until she sort of turned up and realized that somebody like him who uh, was, like, reciting, like, Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright at the age of, like, you know, like, one years old or something like that, or two mm. years old, I forget what it is, the movie, something silly, and um, basically a genius, right? Like, yeah. the problem with being this studious genius like went to Princeton as like a young teenager is that you can sort of get um, cornered into a life where I think he says like there's dust on your heart mm -hmm. and then she shows up and she's sort of like she's undusting their hearts right mm -hmm. and they're moving through this um, this dance you know in the library right and it sort of like encapsulates um, exactly why this sort of household of academics falls in love with her, right? She is so alive. She is so vibrant. She's fun. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she wants to sort of like make up little, you know, cute ways of saying things. She wants to tell jokes, you know, she wants to, to dance and so on. So anyway, that's the image that really kind of stands out to me when I think of the movie. But I'm sure that for a lot of other people, it would be the scene where she, when she first kisses him and she basically tells him to like stand right there. And then she stacks a couple of like fat books on mm -hmm. the floor mm -hmm. and stands up on them so she can be like at eye level with him or face to face. And then she kisses him. And um, that's sort of a big, that's a big moment in the movie too. Thanks for listening to Open Form, a podcast from Lit Hub Radio, produced by Justin Alvarez and hosted by me, Michael Denzel Smith. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe to Open Form wherever you get your podcast, and or sign up for the Lit Hub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. Next week, a buddy comedy deep in the heart of the New Zealand bush.